Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning into this week's edition of the Overtime Podcast presented by the Colfer Report. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Clayton Garrett. And, uh, well, Jeff and I ran into a tad bit of an issue this week. What had happened was we went over uh, this week's show topic was we were going to talk about defensive free agents highlighting the defensive targets or the free agent targets on the defensive side of the ball for the Bills. And then not 48 hours later before the pod was going to be released, the pod was going to be released uh, around lunchtime on Monday. And we had recorded, I believe, the afternoon of Saturday. So before 48, not 48 hours after we had recorded, the Bills had made a move. And uh, the best course of action we thought to go about this was we were going to record Rather than recording a whole episode or ditching the other episode, we decided to just record a 20-minute bit about us talking about the Josh Norman edition. So what we're going, what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave a timestamp in the show notes. If you'd like to just hear us talk about Josh Norman, I'll leave a timestamp in the show notes. But feel free to listen throughout the whole podcast. Uh, there's a lot of good information throughout the entire show. Uh, I'm sorry for any confusion or inconvenience that this may have caused. I hope you enjoy the show. And as always, thank you for tuning in. It is bedlam. It is pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is fantastic. There's no place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Overtime Podcast presented by The Colfer Report. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Clayton Gary. You can find me on Twitter at CFR Clayton. And joining me as always. I am Jeff Uvino. You can find me on Twitter at Real J-U-V-E-I-N-O. You know, it, I said it on last, well, it's not last week's episode, but the last episode, it's been a minute again. And, you know, this is our first year, first off season, that is, doing <laughs> podcasting. And Jeff and I had that conversation towards the end of the season. I think it was like week 15, 14, around there of what are we going to do when there's no more games? Like, what, what's the game plan? And really what we were doing is we were just playing it by ear and playing it by ear we have, and the bills really haven't been doing much. So we really had, we, yeah, we really had this guideline of what we were going to talk about this off season, but the bills haven't really been giving us much news to talk about. And with free agency less than two weeks away, we have to finish show. We, we, we had an offensive episode of offensive free agents. We have to recap that with defensive free agents, Jeff Uvino. It's been a minute since you and I have had a conversation, well, not face-to-face, but camera-to-camera. How you been? Yeah, good. It's been a little hiatus from the show, you know, um, and we both have very fast-paced lives being in college, but, you know, it's nice to sit down and kind of get some more analysis going. You know, I, I haven't had a lot of time to look to look into, you know, what's going on this time of year. You know, we've got college basketball going. We've got high school basketball going. Um baseball is starting to gear up so you know a lot of people I think are putting football kind of on the back burner right now at least until free agency comes or the draft so it's good to kind of sit down and uh let's see what we got here before free agency hits us like a train at 100 miles an hour you know I was on um Joe Miller's podcast this past week the uh the overreaction sports podcast and he and I had an interesting conversation regarding mock drafts mocks off seasons things where people just you know throw some stuff together mock but make a mock draft I, I think you and I both know if you don't know what a mock draft is it's where people project and almost I, I don't know if I know how to interpret I don't know if it should be interpreted as a prediction or what have you but Jeff what, what is your overall opinion of mocks like mock drafts mock off seasons because I, I have a very uh 
distasteful opinion about it. I know that. I don't know what your opinion is, though. Well, I think that they get clicks, and I think that people want to read that stuff because they want to know as soon as possible who their team's going to pick. You know, because the draft completely changes direction for your team. If you make a big pick, if it's if it's your team's year to get that quarterback or get that left tackle, as unexciting as that sounds, that can change your franchise, you want to know who that's going to be. So I think that they are, you know, a lot of people are interested in that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not against mock drafts. You know, I mean, you read them. Admit it, you read them. You do? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> you, not click on any, you don't click on mock drafts. Never. I, I haven't clicked on a mock draft. I probably like five years. And, you know, it, it, I, I, I shit you not. I have not clicked on a mock draft in a do you long make your time. Own? No, I haven't made my well, own then, mock. I haven't made my own mock draft since I was like 12. I so think. then you go into the draft cold. It's not cold. I, I, I study the prospects. I just don't. You know, okay, so this is, this is getting off, off, or off track a little bit, but when I was about nine, 10 years old, not, maybe around there, I think it was around there, it was when I started going to the library and going on the computer. And I'd go to the library, I'd read the newspaper about the bills, see what, see what the local beat reporters were saying in the newspaper, what have you. And I remember I go on NFL.com and I see, I forget who the analyst was, the head analyst or the draft analyst back then, but. I see mock draft. So I'm just like, oh, draft. Draft isn't a little bit. I don't uh, – what's going on? So I click on it, and I'm sitting there with my buddy, and I'm just like, holy shit. The Bills – the Bills pick – I forget who I was excited over, but, but, but the Bills picked somebody. And he goes, no, they didn't. It's a mock. I'm like, well, what's that? And he's just like, I don't really know how to explain it, but it, it, it's almost like a predictor or like who, who they would pick in that scenario. And I'm just like, how many of these do the people do? And they're like, hundreds. I'm like hundreds. I'm like hundreds of fantasized fake drafts. I'm like, they, they have their place. Don't get me wrong. When, when you're a content producer, they have their place. But I, I don't know. I'm just not that they're not my thing. People have their things. People like and dislike things. Personally, this is the time of season where there is quite literally nothing going on. And with the Bills actually having a successful season this past year and them not firing a coach, not not hiring like surpluses of new coaches and filling gaps and whatnot. There isn't much going on. So this, these are the things that are filling my Twitter feed that are filling my Facebook feed. These, these endless scenarios of how the bills can end up with this, that, and the third. And you know, recently there is new, I don't forget what mock draft simulator it was, but it's a draft simulator where people can essentially trade back enough times to the point where they stockpiled 10 picks in the third round. And it's like, you can get a score. I think you, the, the people strive to get A-pluses, but it's almost impossible to get an A-plus on that thing. I forget what it's called. But, no, I'm just, I've never been a fan of mock drafts. You know, when I want to do a mock draft or a mock offseason, I'll boot up the Xbox and play some Madden. That's really, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. I mean, have, have you, do you put together mock drafts? I don't because I think that just a lot goes into it, and I'm not – I'm not invested in the draft enough to take the time to do that because not only do you need to know the players, you need to know what all 32 teams, what they're looking for, you know, what, what positional needs they have there, even their draft tendencies, you know, do they, do they have a tendency to trade up to the third overall pick and pick a wide receiver from Clemson who was off the team in four years? You know, I mean, some teams have <laughs> those tendencies. Some teams take their first overall pick and draft, <clears throat> um, you know, a franchise left tackle 
Eric Fisher, and then they win the Super Bowl. You know, it, it you know, some with the different tendencies like that, um, you got to know all that. So I don't really know. I'm not, I'm never going to make a mock draft. Too never much time. Gonna, never going to make a mock, just takes too much time. Yeah. It's almost, it almost sounds like you're saying it's a waste of time. No, because I appreciate that other people take the time to do it. I'm not going to knock on people for making mock drafts. Oh, yeah. They, they, like I said earlier, I'm not saying that people should or shouldn't do that. People should or shouldn't enjoy that. Everybody has things they enjoy. And if you enjoy making 30 different mock drafts, saying how the, this, these are the 30 different scenarios the Bills can get the corner or the receiver or the defensive tackle, offensive tackle, what have you, that you want this year, then all the power to you. But, you know, like we said, we're pretty busy. We're pretty busy. Jeff, you have to cover a few basketball games today. I know my alma mater, they won. They got another sectional block last night. I don't know. I, I forget if you said you were there or not. I think you said you were, right? No, I did uh, girls games last night. I, um, I was down at Letchworth, a little, sh- little shorter of a drive, and uh, the paper I work for, we were covering girls' team last night. We, we have one boys' team going today. Whether I'm going to drive an hour to the game, probably not. For a basketball game that lasts an hour and a half, um, where they play? Where are they playing today? Henrietta or is it? Uh, uh, it's at Blue Cross. Blue Cross, okay. So to Rochester, um, my alma mater lost in the finals last night. After right after yours won, so <laughs> so four out of five losses in the finals for the Jackets. But what can you do? I mean, Cal Calmon blew them out too. They won like seventy Calmon something played, forty. Calmon played a great game. I didn't really get to get to see much of the game, but. They're a good team, you know, and I think that especially with Marcus Whitman winning the C1 and then if they can beat Lions, they could go to see, they could go to the crossover and maybe go to the final four if I mean, they I'm, can uh, beat Randolph from section six. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not very uh, I'm not too sure how many of the kids because I mean, I play I play football with a lot of those kids yeah. on that team. And, you know, there are a lot of good guys. I know they work hard. I know this isn't this isn't Bills related. This isn't what all the people came to tune in and listen to. But. You know, I know those guys, some of them listen, some of them, some of them stay very plugged into what I have going on outside of, or after, after playing football with them, after growing up with them for a short time, you know, they're all good guys. Congratulations to them. I know how it feels to do that kind of stuff. And it's, it's an incredible accomplishment. It's almost unspeakable. But with that, the way we're going to do this is we're going to speak of free agent targets in order of significance of need. So Spoiler alert, we're going to end with edge rusher. And, you know, we're going to start off with safety. And the way, safety is a really interesting position because, I, Jeff, I, I know you and I, we talked about this before we hit record. Um, you know, Jordan Poyer's wife, Rachel Bush, she's been very adamant on Twitter about her husband getting a raise. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that he doesn't deserve one. He does deserve a raise. He does, I thought the bill should have not extended him, but given him a raise after a couple after his second year, after his second year of Buffalo, after 2018, because they had cap flexibility, they had cap room. And here we are, and we're going into 2020, and we don't know definitively if the bills are going to extend him or not or give him a raise or not. And you look at the tendencies of Brandon Bean in this front office, they tend to do those type of things and lock players down and give them financial comfort after the draft. And as we know, the draft is a couple months away still. So, I mean, this can happen at any point in the offseason. The offseason is a long period. So there's nothing saying that the Bills can't just not extend Jordan Poyer and all these things on Twitter can heat up, if you want to call it that. And, you know, it goes a certain amount of time where, hey, we don't know if Jordan Poyer is going to show up in August for camp or not because he's unhappy with being the 32nd highest paid safety in the league 
while having comparable numbers to someone like Tyron Matthew, who's making $16 million per season right now. So safety is still a very quiet need, but certainly one that the bills have to address this off season in one way or in one way, shape or form. Yeah. And I don't think that, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure about the money, what, what the, what that number is going to be, but I think the re-signing Poyer is a no brainer. I mean, him and Hyde back there are so good together. They're, I, I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find a better safety tandem in the league, in my opinion. And I just think it's a no brainer to have him, a guy, not only a guy who works with Hyde so well, but who's been around, you know, this is his what fourth year. This would be his fourth year on the team. Mm-hmm. Going and, into, yes. Yeah. And so he, he knows the system. He knows the guys. I mean, he can even, he's even a veteran, somewhat of a veteran. You know, I, I, I don't know what that number is going to be of how much you're going to pay him. I think 16 million seems like a ton. You just brought up Matthew's um, Matthew's salary, but you got to bring him back. I think that searching elsewhere would just be foolish if you're Brandon Bean. You know, I mean, you you don't go looking for answers when you already have one. I think is the best way to put is the best way to put that. So I'd say definitely you have to resign him. It's a no brainer, and then you don't have to worry about that position at all. If you don't resign Poyer, that's just another spot that you have to worry about all summer long and all all spring long, and how you're going to fill that hole. Right. And, you know, I'm not sure. I know I said it a couple weeks ago or not even a couple weeks ago, it'll be a couple episodes ago of I'm not in the camp of you need to extend Jordan Poyer for four years, X million dollars. I was in the camp of if you can get out of it in three, do it. And if you can do it with cap flexibility of, okay, we're still prepared to re-sign Josh Allen. We're still prepared to give Trey White an extension. We're still prepared to give Dawkins an extension, Milano an extension. All these players that they, you have brought in, drafted, and groomed to your – and essentially built your foundation around on both sides of the ball. But the last two years, the Bills have drafted safeties being Saran Neal and Jaquan Johnson. And, you know, there are varying opinions of Saran Neal. Not many people speak highly of him, but I think he, I think he could be a dynamic player. And I think in year three, he's going to make an impact. But there's still a need at safety. And really looking at the free agent class at safety, you know, the Bills aren't going to go out in this position. And like you said, fill a hole or, or make a hole and searching for an answer when you already have one on the team. This isn't a situation where Jordan Poyer is a free agent this year and you need to fill that gap as soon as possible. So that being said, you can go with a cheaper option. Somebody that is a little flown under the radar in the free agent market, not somebody like Trey Boston who played for Carolina and with Eric Washington last year, more so someone like Jerron Curse. And Jerron Curse was a safety for the Minnesota Vikings for four seasons. He's 26 years old. He's six foot four, 215 pounds. He's a big guy. And, I think he's a really good fit for the Bills. You know, you look at his size, you look at his athleticism, and he was a special teams captain for Mike Zimmer's football team last year. He's a special teams ace. And with Marquise uh, Marquise Alexander hitting the open market and the uncertainty of whether or not the Bills are going to bring him back, I don't think the Bills would be poorly inclined to bring in Jerron Curse for his special team abilities alone, that and his capabilities and trajectory as a safety at that. So you think bringing in Curse is an upgrade from Neil? Um, not necessarily, but I do think it's an upgrade from Jaquan Johnson. Okay, that's fair. And with and with Kurt Coleman being old and hitting the open market, I don't think 
I don't think they're going to bring back Kirk Coleman. I don't think that's a necessity. But Dean Marlowe is an, an unrestricted free agent. He's always there if you want to bring him back. I think Jerron Curse is an, is an upgrade over not only Johnson, but Marlowe as well. And if you're going to bring back Marlowe, I think they'd be better off bringing in Curse rather than bringing back Marlowe for another year or two. Mm, so that would be a very low-key you know, addition. You know, you're not looking at a lot of money. I'm thinking of like a two, three-year deal worth similar to the, to the Poyer contract that they handed out a couple of years ago. You know, a three- or four-year deal, maybe $12 million, two years, maybe eight. Something in that, in that ballpark would be very suitable for a player like Jerron Curse, And I think, he'd, I think he'd be an extraordinary fit. I think if, you know, if you're looking at – because Micah Hyde's getting up there in age two. 30 mm-hmm. crept up on him pretty quickly. And, you know, we all know how players are viewed after the age of 30 of the flux of their financial situation, the flux of, well, how much longer do we have for the high-quality play that we've seen Micah Hyde play at. I think if you're looking at the Bills' safety situation after 2020, and you have players like Jerron Kirsch, Jaquan Johnson, and Saran Neal behind them, and you've developed Saran Neal and Jaquan Johnson for what is three and two years, I think you're far more comfortable with Jerron Kirsch back there as well behind whether Poyer's there or Micah Hyde's there or not. I just think that at this point, you know, this is like the last thing. Obviously, that's why we went first to that. You know, it's one of the last things that they are going to address. So I think that, you know, whatever move they make is going to be very, you know, under the radar and, and maybe we won't see the effects of it until the season. Or maybe, maybe, with it, maybe they'll even address it in the draft. Maybe they'll draft somebody yeah. for the future in preparation for either Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde, you know, hitting that age wall and starting to decline in play, or Jordan Poyer not getting an extension. You know, we aren't privy to these conversations. We don't know what their opinion of Jordan Poyer's extension or Jordan Poyer's salaries is inside that room. All, it, all we can do is sit here and speculate and say, you know, these are the avenues they can travel down. These are the options they have. And, you know, they're, personally, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that Jerron Curse is the long-term solution at the safety position, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's not because I know when the Bills signed Jordan Poyer, I wasn't expecting him to play to the caliber that he has the last three seasons. So, you know, we've seen players get plugged into the Sean McDermott defense and thrive in that safety role. You know, we know Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier both have defensive back backgrounds. And I'm confident with them bringing in low-end or under-the-radar free agents and developing them into star players like they have Jordan Poyer. And the draft is the cheapest way to do, a, to do anything. So, you know, right. keep in mind. <laughs> you know, anything can happen. And the second position we're going to talk about is three-technique defensive tackle. And with all of the indicators pointing to Jordan Phillips hitting the open market and signing for – potentially big money elsewhere um you know this is a position where I'm not too inclined to spend a ton I don't want the bills to sign a player to a boatload of money just how I don't want them to sign Jordan Phillips to a boatload of money for the same reasons really because at the start of the season last year you know you drafted out Oliver at ninth overall in 2019 you drafted out Oliver to be your three technique defensive tackle for the future and you know, at the start of the season, he was playing close to 70% of the snaps. So I'm not, I'm not investing heavily in a player that's going to play the 30% of the snaps that, that Ed Oliver isn't on the field. I don't think that'd be a wise move, but I can see the value in them bringing in certain veteran defensive tackles that have connections to now defensive line coach Eric Washington, two players that played for Carolina last year. And I'm not saying you add both of them. I'm saying one or the other. I could see either avenue being traveled down that being Gerald McCoy and Vernon Butler. Yeah, and when we're talking about this position, it's exactly what you said, the 30% of snaps that Ed Oliver 
is, isn't going to play because the Bills have a lot of options right now internally at this position. I mean, you have Oliver and you have Harrison Phillips coming back. Obviously, you know, a lot of people are high on him. We don't know what it's going to be coming off of the injury, but we can be optimistic. You know, if you resign Shaq Lawson and there's another one. So this is going to be a role player. I think we can agree on that. It's going to be a role player. You're not, it's not going to be a big deal. You also have Starla Tule. I forgot about him. So, and, and, you know, when you bring that guy in, he has to be accepting of that role, you know, and he has to, he has to understand, you know, this is what I'm going to pay. I'm going to take a little bit of money, but I'm going to have a job and I'm going to be a part of this defense that is going to be one of the best in the league. And, you know, wh- who that guy is, that's for, that's Brandon Bean's job to find. I think McCoy would be a good fit. I know you sent me a couple other names of guys who might fit that role well. Yeah. And I think another one would be Vernon Butler. I think Vernon Butler would be an incredible fit. There's a, you know, there's a certain, you know, parallel to the size of Vernon Butler as well as Jordan Phillips, you know, that, that, that skill set that they share somewhat. And like I said, I wouldn't be shocked if they signed their three technique defensive tackle. However, I wouldn't be shocked if they added their three technique defensive tackle in the fourth or fifth round on the day on the third day of the draft. I think it all depends on how the board falls. It all depends on how the market plays out. You know, if Gerald McCoy is requesting $8 million for a two-year contract, that's $8 million less that you have to address the wide receiver position or the right tackle position or defensive end. It's all about how the market plays out. And I don't personally, I think three technique defensive tackle is either the second, it, it is a sneaky need. The Bills definitely need to address that position this offseason, but I don't know if they'd be best inclined to address that in free agency. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with you. With the retiring of veteran and former captain Lorenzo Alexander, this isn't, this isn't a huge need for the Bills. Their third linebacker position, their Sam linebacker. And I understand, say what you will about Sam and Will these days being very interchangeable and it almost being virtually no difference. But it is certainly a need for the Bills this offseason. You know, they don't really have much depth behind Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano at that. And with Lorenzo Alexander retiring, you know, there's a certain role that the Bills are missing, whether it be special teams, whether it be a situational pass rusher. And I'm not sitting here saying that Lorenzo Alexander was the ultra hybrid valuable player in his last season of his career that he was in say 2016 or 2015 when he was having 10 sack, 12 sack seasons. But I am saying it's a role that the bills are missing and it's not one of huge significance, but if the bills were to address this position and address a player that can sit, that can drop to the line of scrimmage and play an edge rusher and then back off the line of scrimmage and be an off-ball linebacker. If they could have a player with that versatility at the right price, I think it. I, I'd be doing backflips for this defense because, you know what, like we said, this is one of the best defenses in the league. And if you could potentially get an upgrade at that position over Lorenzo Alexander and still have that skill set, that's certainly a valuable piece to your defense that you could have. Yeah, and I don't think that bringing in a veteran would be a bad thing at all either. you got two young guys in Edmonds and Milano um, that, you know, don't have, a lot of, don't have a lot of experience in the league as good as they are. So I think bringing in a veteran to offset that would, um, would help a lot. Right. And, you know, the first player, you know, that, that I'm going to start off with my favorite option, that being Jamie Collins, formerly of the New England Patriots. He appears to be hitting the open market again, you know, the last time he got shipped out of Cleveland, or excuse me, he got shipped out. He got shipped out of New England to Cleveland because he asked for more money. And then he eventually was cut by the Browns for whatever reason. 
And the Patriots brought him back, and he was the same player he was prior, only with a more edge-rushing skill set. And I think Jamie Collins would be a hell of a fit for this defense. You look at his capabilities off ball. You look at his capabilities on the edge. I think he would be a supreme upgrade over Lorenzo Alexander and what he was bringing to this defense the last handful of seasons. I think Jamie Collins would be an excellent situational pass rusher, an excellent situational off-ball linebacker, a player that can drop into coverage, a player that can run sideline to sideline. He's the only player on that New England defense, the best, the, the number one defense in the league, might I mind you, last season, that had multiple interceptions and multiple sacks. He is certainly a versatile player with a versatile skill set, and I think if he were, he, he would be an excellent fit in Sean McDermott's defense. You know, we see these players go from Buffalo to New England and have success. It's time for one to happen the other way around. I think that Jamie Collins would be a great fit for this team. He's a big name, which brings big money, but you got big money to spend if you're the Bills. So spend it. I, I, I would be completely on board with bringing in a guy like this. And, you know, it's a move that is big, but it's not like, oh, we're bringing in uh, Jadavion Clowney or, oh, we're, when we, we're bringing in whoever on offense, like a big, big name. This is a guy who is he's, – he's a good enough, big enough name player to really make an impact without kind of you – know, you know what I'm saying? Kind of blowing yeah. out of proportion. You know, like when they, when they had Antonio Brown for four hours. It's not that kind of thing. But it, it, I, I would really be happy with that move. I think that he's a great player, and I would love to see him eat up the Patriots. You know, like you said, the, the players that go from Buffalo to Cleveland – or excuse, why do I keep saying Cleveland? I don't know. I don't know. But, but the players that go from Buffalo to New England, you know, you just think of them. You think of Stephon Gilmore. You, that, that's the first name that pops up into my head. Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan. And, I, you know, there's more. There, there has – Mike Gillisley. Yeah, you know, he, he wasn't really having like hell of a seasons down in New England, but that's because he was a he was a he was a running back by committee down there. Yeah. And, um, you know, what, what the only player I can remember the Bills bringing in from New England to Buffalo that not named Larry Drinkwaddle because he didn't play last season because of that unfortunate injury he sustained in camp. Mm-hmm. is Mark Anderson. Do you remember that when they added Mark Anderson? It was the same offseason they added uh, Mario Williams. No, I don't, and that tells you how much – how well Mark Anderson he did. He played four yeah. games. Played four yeah. games. Mm-hmm. They gave him $27 million, and he played four games. Yeah. He, had, he had 10 sacks his rookie year with the Bears in 06. You know, we're, we're getting way off track. But he had 10 sacks in his rookie year with the Bears. He didn't really do much for the next three years. He left the Bears, went to New England for a year, had another – I think he had either a 10 or 12-sack season for New England, and then he went to Buffalo, and the only sack he had was against the Patriots, and he hurt his knee, and that was it. That was it. That was, I th- I don't, he didn't play in the league after that. He played four games. What was the first season we had Mario Williams? Was it 12? Um, 13, 12, 13. 12, it was one of those two years, but that was the last season he played in the NFL. And, you know, I think it's, it's about time – for this to, to start churning the other way. You know, with New England's dynasty appearing to be over, I think it's time for the Bills to start taking players from New England, plugging them in, and then, you know, flourishing in Buffalo. But like I said, the Bills don't have much depth behind Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. And a player that can provide depth while also filling that special teams role that Lorenzo Alexander is no, was known to fill over his course of his career in Buffalo would be A.J. Klein, who – 
played for the Panthers and played was brought into the Panthers by Brandon Bean when he was still in office and was coached under Sean McDermott while Sean McDermott was still there. You know, the last time he hit the open market, we were saying, okay, this could be a player that the Bills could bring in. And he opted to go to New Orleans. And, you know, I, I mean, if you, if you gave me that option, I'm not too sure what I would say. Back in 2017, I, prob- I probably would have sided with him and gone to New Orleans. Yeah, so would I. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've never been to New Orleans and Buffalo. Say, say what you will. But A.J. Klein, I think, would be a great fit as well. You know, he's not going to be a player that's going to bring the impact that Jamie Collins does on a down-to-down basis. But he can certainly bring you some value while on special teams. Yeah, and he's going to be a little cheaper too, you know, right. which, which, you know, while we're having these conversations, I've said this again and again, while we're having these conversations, if we're going to put, if you're going to put more resources into one position, you take those resources away from another. But then if you're going to, you know, dilute those resources away from a position like linebacker, then you can spend them more in other areas. So, and also another thing to keep in mind, what's the cheapest way to get a player? Draft. The draft. Yeah, the draft. So it's, you know, there's so many options. So, and, and, you know, the fact that the bills aren't really doing anything, like you said, is making it kind of hard to have these conversations because, you know, there's not a whole lot going on. They they are tight lipped. I'll tell you this. They are tight lipped. There are some, there are some minor rumors that I catch wind of, but they're minor as minor could be. And they come out by like a, a three week basis, like not every other week, but every like, handful of weeks something will come out and then you know you'll think about it it'll be in the back of your head like the zay jones thing like when cole front like when we first reported that zay jones is going to get traded and it didn't happen for three weeks or maybe it was a little longer than that but yeah it was three weeks because it was after the new england game or no it was what was that after new england what was the game after new england tennessee it was after the tennessee game yeah. that he got dealt so it was a handful of weeks after that but like i said it, it have every couple weeks something will leak out you don't really know what's going on. The Bills are very, you know, they do a very good job of not showing their hand. And, you know, that, that just goes to show you. Because I remember when Rex Ryan was there, it was like a high school. It, it was like rumor after rumor, drama after drama. And, you know, it, like I said, it's complete inverse with this new regime. But one name that I hear a lot of people talking about to fill this hole for the Bills is Kyle Van Noy, a fellow Patriot like Jamie Collins. And, you know, Kyle Van Noy brings some impact. He brings a lot. He, he brings some value. He's tad older. He got dealt from Detroit to New England, and he never really had much success until he went to New England. And that's not, the, that's not to say that Jamie Collins isn't the same case, but he did have some success in Cleveland when he was playing for the Browns. Jay, the Kyle Van Noy didn't really find much of any success while in Detroit. While in New England, he's versatile. He's versatile similar to how Jamie Collins is versatile. But I think a lot of people think of him more so as that situational pass rusher of that strong side linebacker that can come off the edge and play that role similar to how Lorenzo Alexander played it. But I just – I don't see Kyle Van Noy being as valuable as the contract he's going to garner because you look at what he's projected to make, you're talking about 8 to $10 million per season. And for a 29-year-old linebacker that is not going to bring you half of the production of what, at least in my opinion, half of the production or versatility that Jamie Collins would when – also, I, I meant to bring it up, but I, it just slipped from my mind because, you know, I, like, I love getting off track on the podcast. But, um, you know, Jamie Collins I, – I see Jamie Collins getting a contract around two years for about $13 million. That, that sounds more than fair for Jamie Collins and 
you know, whether it be the questions of the varying success, whether whatever it may be of when he leaves New England. I think that's more than a fair deal to go to Jamie Collins. And I don't think Kyle Van Noy is going to take that discount of, oh, well, you don't think I'm going to be successful out of New England. Okay, I won't sign with you because someone else might. I think Jamie Collins would be a better fit than Kyle Van Noy. I don't, I, and, and to be quite honest, I think Kyle Van Noy is a tad overrated, and he benefited from that scheme in New England more than anything. I think everybody benefits from that scheme. But and if we're bringing up age, then Collins is a year older. Collins is 30, Van Noy is 29. So, you know, if you're talking – if you're bringing, having age be a factor, then I think this is the first time he hit the open. He's hit the open market in his career, though. Yeah, that that's what brings significance to it. Mm-hmm. One last name for the linebacker position that I think would be a fit, not more less of that situational pass rusher role, but a player that would thrive being an off-ball linebacker and dropping into coverage and being that third linebacker when the Bills want to play in base defense would be Darren Lee, a former first-round pick of the rival New York Jets, who got traded to the Kansas City Chiefs. It is now a Super Bowl champion, but he's hitting in the open market. And similar to some previous players that we mentioned, he's more of an under-the-radar player. But when I see Darren Lee, I see a player who is athletic, has capabilities to drop back in coverage, you know, can, can run sideline to sideline. And I think he, he's not an ideal fit, but he's certainly a fit of a player that, you know, when he is, when he has to, is asked to drop back into coverage, he's not going to be a liability. And that being said, if the finances work out the right way, I wouldn't be shocked if after the offseason, we're talking about Darren Lee being the linebacker that the Bills added this offseason. Yeah, and if he can fill that hole, then then that would be great. You know, I think that all of these guys that we're talking about, they can be that Lorenzo Alexander 2016-17, like you said, because that's what's missing, really. I mean, when, when Alexander was having those great seasons, you didn't have a Tremaine Edmonds, you didn't have a Matt Milano, and now you do. So to put all three of those together, I think it makes the, one of the best defenses in the NFL even better. You know, another thing people have to keep in mind when discussing this need at the third linebacker position for the Bills is, you know, this is really quite similar to that three-technique defensive tackle role of the 30% of the snaps that Oliver is on the field. We're not talking about, like, a need where if the Bills – this is going to be the – or, excuse me, this is going to be the difference of if they win a Super Bowl or not. You know, if they had Jamie Collins, oh, well, that's the piece they were missing on defense. Now they're going to go get, go win a Super Bowl. I'm not saying that at all. You know, mm-hmm. I'm saying that Jamie Collins on a two-year deal for $13 million, that's more than ideal. And the fit is more than ideal. And I don't see why you don't do it when you have the cap flexibility that you do at the time. And if it were to be a short-term contract as such, I think it's only beneficial for both sides if he were to walk into Buffalo with that, with that kind of contract and with that skill set and plugged into that defense. I think that's just you're, – you're throwing all sorts of situations in there, and it's a mixed bag of – I think that situation is going to end very well for both the Bills and Jamie Collins, and as a result, that the Bills' defense is only going to get better. But the ultimate goal here is you were probably, what, the second-best defense last year behind New England? I mean, you're, you're, top, you're top three or two. I can so tell the you goal, that much. So the goal is this year you need to be better than New England defensively. That's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. So how is that going to happen? Whether I mean, is is signing is signing guy like Darren Lee or AJ Klein going to make you the best defense league? No, but that's a building block and that's a piece that. So I'm not saying oh go bigger go home. You need to sign Jamie Collins, but I'm saying you know these guys are all small building blocks that can build that defense to be the best in the league. Talking about small building blocks reminds me of last offseason. 
And Jeff, you remember the offensive line the Bills went into the 2018 or maybe it was 2019, the 2019 offseason with. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about it was awful. You're, you're talking about Deion Dawkins having somewhat of a down year. Who was the guard next? Vlad Dukas or Wyatt Teller. The center was Ryan Groy and, and Russell Bodine. Who was right guard? Right guard oh, it was John Miller, who yeah, I, I mean, arguably, no was, arguably was the best of the, of the bunch. And then Jordan Mills. You're talking about, pardon my French, quite literally a dog shit offensive line. And then you look at what they did in the off in the off season to quite literally rebuild the entire thing. Aside from Deion Dawkins, you signed Mitch Morse, you signed Adrian Waddle, they picked up Ryan Bates, you signed John Feliciano, you signed Quentin Spain, who's a free agent this off season, you signed Spencer Long. You look at how they quite literally revamped that entire position from top to bottom, with the only remaining piece being Deion Dawkins. And you know when we talk about the Bills' defense. They have a lot of top-end talent, I think, on that side of the ball, that is. You talk about players like Ed Oliver. You talk about players – I'm not going to say Star Thule. I'm sorry. <laughs> you talk about players like Trey White. You talk about players like Milano and Edmonds and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. They have a lot of really good players on that side of the ball. Now it's time to build it from top to bottom. It's time to fill out those rooms and make them the best – as you possibly can, like you did with your offensive line last season, build out the bottom of that room and make your depth as good as you can. And, you know, the bills didn't really, they they didn't have injury concerns last year. They didn't have injury problems. You didn't have players missing six, seven, eight games or what have you. That wasn't a problem for them, but it's that it's certainly not a problem you want to have. And it's never a bad thing to have good depth on your football team at most positions. Yeah. And we said going into this past season that we liked the way that the bills built that offense and so you know it'll be interesting to see how they can build up that defense i know it's a different situation because obviously you're starting with a lot better product on the defensive side but you know i think that if they take a similar approach to how they built the offense then it will be as successful you know not that the bills offense was set the world on fire but they were a hell of a lot better this past year than they were the year before well that offensive line that offensive line was really why that was one of the worst offenses almost in history at halfway mark of the 2018 season that was that was on pace to be the worst offense in the history of the league and then uh you know the Cardinals started Josh Rosen and um, (laughs) I'm sorry but that was that was a bad offensive line as well you know having a good offensive line is a good thing and you know it's hard to come by today's NFL there is there's a deficiency at that at that position group in the league nowadays but the second largest need on the defensive side of the ball. This is where it's going to get fun. This, this is where the conversation starts to, going to start to heat up a little bit. I hope we're not boring you because these are, these are positions that the Bills, you know, you, you need to get in the nitty-gritty. And when you haven't had a podcast in three weeks, you have plenty of time to prepare for the nitty and gritty. That's right. That's right. We're going to talk about cornerbacks. And, you know, there's various ways that the Bills can target this position, whether it be the draft or free agency. There's a handful of options. And let's start off with James Bradbury, who announced just – I think about a half a week ago that he's looking to receive $15 million per season this upcoming off season. So you're talking about a player that was under Eric Washington in Carolina last season. He had a hell of a season under Eric Washington, I might add, but you're also talking about a player who's young. He's hitting the open market for the first time in his career and asking for $15 million per season would make him just about right now, currently the highest paid, highest paid cornerback in the NFL one of, because I think Xavier Howard, because I remember when I was looking at the market for Trey White to get an idea of what he's going to get paid, you know, Xavier Howard is currently the highest paid, and he makes 15.6. Yeah. 
and you want 15, if you want at least 15, you're in that conversation. And personally, I don't think it'd be very wise to allocate that much money in your starting two cornerbacks. Because if one of them gets hurt, then well, what's your situation then? And especially if you're gonna especially if you're gonna pay White that big money, you can't pay another guy that money. You know, you gotta you can't pay both of those guys that much at the same position. Because right. exactly what if one of them gets hurt? What if one of them gets hurt? And at that point you have what, 30? Because I think Trey White's going to receive somewhere in the area of $18.5 million per season. That's my hunch. I don't think he's going to get signed first. I think that in that situation, in that scenario, the Bills are going to get forced into paying him a little more than they'd ideally have to pay him. And I think at the end of the day, you're talking about Trey White making somewhere between seventeen to $18.5 million per season after he signs his extension. And if it happens, say, say it's the low end of that. So you sign one corner for seventeen, and then you sign – James Bradbury for 15. You have $22 million APY allocated to your number, your, your first two cornerbacks. Now, these are the kind of moves that you would make when your quarterback's on a rookie contract. And I understand that. But if you're signing James Bradbury to that amount of money, the first time he hits the market, he's going to want year-to-year reliability. Well, is, is it bad? I'll say this. Is it bad that I didn't know who he was until we started, you know, looking at possible options for the Bills? Is that bad? I mean, I, not really. Just I didn't not. know who this guy was until I started, you know, looking into who the possible signing options for the Bills. Am I so supposed I, to be fair? Am I supposed to be honest, or am I not? Because I didn't know who he was when, until I started breaking down free agents as well. Yeah. So and then <laughs> you're gonna bring, you're gonna pay this guy 15 million a year? It's absurd. I mean, he's in Carolina. He's in a different conference. He's in a different division. To be fair, I mean, we. I mean, how many times did you sit down and say, "Well, let's watch the Carolina Panthers play today with who? Who was that? Kyle Allen? Wasn't that their quarterback? Yeah. The, yeah. The, who's going to watch that? Yeah, who's going to watch that? You get to see McCaffrey, though. But, um, you know, another another player that I think would be – I'm far more interested in this fit – would be Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith, a veteran, a former first-round pick of the Baltimore Ravens. And you look at what happened in Baltimore and how they added both Marcus Peters and they drafted Marlon Humphrey a couple years prior. Two former first-round pick talent. Oh, no, Marcus Peters. Wasn't he a second-round pick? Maybe he was a first. I, I remember. He was, he was a late first, I believe. So you're talking about two first-round talents at opposite cornerback positions, and then your older first-round talent is starting to age. He's starting to decline in play. He's starting to find injuries. So he's going to hit the open market. And he's not going to cost nearly as much as Bradbury is going to, is going to command. You're talking about a player who's going to probably command somewhere in the area of 7 to $8 million per season. I think that's more than fair. For a number two cornerback, considering you paid Kevin Johnson, what was it, four million last offseason? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the need of number two corner is very much so contingent of whether or not bringing back Kevin Johnson is in their plans. Because Kevin Johnson last offseason, coming into Buffalo, he was a player that had injury concerns prior in his career. With honestly, one of the most serious problems you could have as a professional athlete is concussions. You know, you have a player who has dealt with concussions and he was playing almost a rotational role with Levi Wallace last off season. And, you know, he might've played himself out of Buffalo, Buffalo's price range. And, you know, when you talk about players that get one year deals, that is your goal. When you walk into a new building on a one year contract, when you've had injury concerns in your, in your past, he was a former first, I mean, that, that being Kevin Johnson, he was a former first round pick. And he, when he hit the open market, he really couldn't get paid. He had to sign a one year contract. So now he's looking for a bigger deal this offseason. And I think the Bills looking into cornerback this in, in free agency, I don't think you're going to see them sign a really big name like James Bradbury or maybe even Jimmy Smith for that matter. 
I don't think you're going to look for them, see them go in that direction. Because when you talk about the Bills cornerback position from last season, you're talking about a scenario where it's far more quality over quantity. But if that's what, but if that's the case again, this season, and you're not going to dump that money into a corner, I'm fine with that. Because I think that at the end of the day, you got to sit, you got to dump all your money in the defensive end position because number one, they're one of the highest paid positions in football. And number two, it's your biggest need on defense. And that's why we saved it for last. And so, you know, if, you're being conservative on every other position, that's fine. I'm fine with all your eggs in one basket at defensive end. You're fine with all the eggs in one basket? I'm fine. I'm fine with what? the building blocks we've talked about at every other position and then going all in on a DN because I think that that's, like I just said, that's your biggest need on the defensive side. And that's you're going to have to pay a pretty penny because those players make a lot of money. Those players make a ton of money, and they get drafted high. You know, those guys – like the quarterbacks and the left tackles and the defensive rushers that all get drafted real high in the draft, they're the ones who also get paid the most money. And you know, say, say what you will about defensive end, but it's arguably the second hardest position to fill in football that isn't quarterback. And that's yeah. why it's the second highest position in football that isn't quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there, there are some marquee names that are available too specifically. And Jeff – you seem very adamant of this need and you know as am i and I'll, I'll explain my reasoning and who i think would suit the bills the best but who in your mind should the bills add at this position for that big that big money contract that we speak of oh i think that it's my answer is gonna be the same as yours i think he just got franchise tagged by the jaguars Gakway. yeah it has to be i mean he he the fact that they franchise tag him it means you're probably going to give up more because you're going to have to trade for him as opposed to, you know, pay, throwing some money his way because you have money. Mm-hmm. But I think that he's the type of player you want. I mean, I think we bring up Jadavion Clowney. We're going to talk about him. I'll bring him up right away. I would much rather have Ngakwe than Clowney. Mm-hmm. I think that Clowney, I don't know. I think that me labeling him as a lazy player is kind of unfair. He kind of got that in college. He's lazy. He, he wasn't in, sh- in great shape. And he's a good player. He's a great natural talent. But I just think that Ngakwe is is more hungry at this point. He, he, he hasn't made that name for himself yet. And he was in a situation that he couldn't really succeed in Jacksonville. And now if you're going to put him in a defense surrounded by a ton of other great players, great young players who are hungry to work for that and you know play for this city and play for this franchise and the coach, I think that it's a perfect situation. I think that Clowney's proved himself in the NFL already. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think that Clowney has established himself as a great player. And, you know, me calling him lazy, I don't, I don't want that to come back and bite me. I guess I don't know. That, that's kind of unfair for me to say. But I like, the, I like the way Ngakwe plays better, and I think that he's a better fit for this team. So last offseason, it was the Clowney thing. It, it was, let's trade for Jadavian Clowney. Let's get this done. I remember I was in that boat because you want to know why. The Bills, just similar to the last offseason, it was the biggest need on the defensive side of the football, and I felt like they were an elite pass rusher away from having the best defense in football. And the only reason that I am far more in favor of signing or trading and extending for Yannick Ngakwe is because now he is better. He is the best option at that position. I wouldn't sit here and have a tiffy if the Bills were to sign Jadavian Clowney. I'd be enamored. I'd be happy that they, that they addressed that position very, very – um, they address that position with an elite pass rusher. Absolutely. But guess what? When there is one more available that is better than him, when there is one available that is younger than him with less injury concern, that 
would fit this defense very well, would fit this culture and team very well, I'm going after Unique Ngakwe every day of the week. And it's not like we haven't seen these things happen before. There's a reason Unique Ngakwe got franchise tagged. And it's because Jacksonville knows he's a very valuable player. And they don't really – I mean, that's not really their problem of how much he's going to get paid when the team that trades for him has to extend him. That's not their issue. Yeah. They want to get a draft pick out of this. Exactly. This is a Sorry team to cut you off, but, oh, no, but yeah, you're if you're if you're Jacksonville, you, you want to get the most value out of that player as possible. They understand their situation. They had their chance when they, the two years ago when they made it to the AFC championship game. That was their shot, and they had all they had that great defense and all those players. They know they're on the downhill now. And that organization is an absolute mess. That's a whole nother conversation. So their strategy right now is let's get the most out of these guys while we still can. And franchise tagging in Gakwe was the way to do that because now you're going to get some value out of another team. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you're the Bills, you don't care. You, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the Jaguars are doing. That, these are the cards that they dealt you. you got to deal with it to get the player. You know, whereas you thought before, we're just going to give this guy some big money. All right, now maybe some other stuff. Now that – it's a as opposed to a free agent signing situation, but, but still you got to get it done. Now, let me ask you this because last off season, we saw two players in this situation where they got franchise tag and then dealt and that being Frank Clark and D Ford, Frank Clark was franchise tagged by the Seahawks and then traded to the chiefs. I believe. I, yes. I have that right. And then D Ford was franchise tagged by the chiefs and traded to the 49ers. So, that being said, I want, I want to get your opinion on this. Not what would you trade for Yikini Gakwe, but would you be willing to trade a second-round pick this year and, say, a day-three pick? So let's go the highest you can go with a day-three pick, a fourth-round pick in 2021. Would you be willing to deal that for Yikini Gakwe when he is rumored to be commanding $22 million per season after he is dealt wherever he goes? How old is he? He's, 20, he's not even 25 yet. Yes. Who the hell are you going to pick with that second round pick? Who the hell are you going to – that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm all about, you know, having assets and big draft picks and how valuable they can be. Who the hell are you going to pick this year in the second round that's going to impact your football team as much right now as Ngakwe is? I'll tell you right now. That's going to develop into that. Right. And that that is why I'm kind of against the whole draft this guy, hope he turns into this because – you know, let's call it what it is. The dra- I'm not saying that I question Brandon Bean's scouting office and their capabilities to scout talent and get the most out of draft picks, whether it's the first round or the seventh round. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're incapable of bringing in talent in rounds that aren't the first round that develop into exceptional players. That is definitely a possibility. But you know what? I know Unique Ngakwe is available. I know that Maybe not pick 54. Maybe that, that is honestly, in my opinion, that's the ceiling of what they're going to command for that trade is this year's second and next year's fourth. That's the ceiling, I think. That is the most they're going to command. And that speaks volume to that. We are, you and I are both in the same camp, that we're both willing to give up possibly the most that they're going to command for that player. That is definitely a possibility. And I'd certainly be willing to do it because Unique and Gakwe – Unlike like I spoke of earlier with linebacker, I made the example of, no, Jamie Collins, I don't believe, is the difference between the Bills winning a Super Bowl or not. But you know what? I think Unique Ngakwe is the difference between the Bills having the best defense in football or the second best defense in football. And I think that difference is the difference between the Bills going to the Super Bowl or not. Not necessarily yeah. winning, but going to it. And, and winning that game in Houston. 
in January, yeah. you know, I mean, and I think with the money after you mentioned the, the he's going to ask for 22 million is a projected figure. That doesn't matter. The, you have money <clears throat> for the bills, unless you're a team in the NFL that's backed up against the salary cap money doesn't matter. Right. You know, that should be the least of your worries. I think that when we're talking about this, it should really just be, are you willing to give up the draft stock? And I think that as long as they don't ask for a first round pick, which they're not going to you go for it. I'll tell I'll leave it off this position with this. I'll leave it off with this because whether it's unique and Gawkway, whether it's and Clowney or Matt Judon, whoever it may be, the bills are going to have to pay money if they're going looking to add a defensive end prior to the draft. And I think, I think that's the best route you can go is adding a defensive end uh, via trade or free agency rather than the draft because you're getting a known commodity in any of these players. You're getting players that have had production, had success, et cetera, in the National Football League, whereas with a drafted player, they have to acclimate to the NFL. They have to work in a new place. They're going to a new city. They're going to meet a bunch of new coworkers, and they're going from playing amateur football to playing professional football. Say what you will of the quality of some of these prospects. Say what you will of the previous production of some of these prospects. But Unique Ngakwe has done it before. Jadeveon Clowney has done it before. Matt Judon has done it before. I'll tell you this. These are the moves you make that make the difference between you winning a Super Bowl or not. These are the moves that you make while, rook, while a quarterback is on a rookie contract. And Josh Allen is on that contract. And this is a move that you might make that you should make now. You have a window, and the window is open. And I feel like if you do not add a pass rusher of that quality at that price tag, I feel like you are squandering your opportunity. And props to the Bills that this is where we're at right now. You know, I mean, when, is, when have we been here before where the Bills should be getting free agents and trading for big names as opposed to drafting young talent? You know, and we've never really been at the point where, okay, the Bills should, should piss away their, their, their draft stocks to get good players right now because right. win right now. And that's where we're at. And that's great. It's you know, a great change. I think I brought it up. I've, I've brought it up before. I know that. I don't remember when I brought it up, but I know I have brought it up. This isn't like the Mario Williams situation because, you know, the difference is, is when Mario Williams got here, he was, he was on an island. That's all it was. You know, Kyle Williams was here. Marcel Darius was here. But other than that, what, what, what was here? There was really nothing. It was really just nothingness. It was Mario Williams and that's it. And it's not the same situation by any means. Mm-hmm. You have a quarterback on a rookie contract that you hope to be your franchise quarterback for years to come. And you have countless foundational pieces of players that aren't the best in the league, aren't in the top five in their position, but you know what they are? They're good enough. Yep. You have a lot yep. of those players. And it's not like that situation when you brought in Mario Williams on a six-year, $100 million contract. It is nowhere near similar. It's not the same. And like I said, these are the moves that you should make while that window is open. And, you know, hey, the window is open. Time will tell. We'll see. Um, Jeff, I'm not too sure when the next time we'll record is. I know it's in the near future. I don't know how near it is. Well, uh, Like I said, free agency opens in less than two weeks. So I think after doing a podcast around that time, maybe after the first two, three days of free agency, that's when it would suit best, and we'll see what happens. And I will say this, we may need to do an emergency pod. That could be where we find ourselves recording the next time as if something big happens and we need to do an emergency pod. Because, I mean, we're at that point, we're at that time of year where, you know, football is the last thing on a lot of people's minds. We're thinking about it, not a lot of other people are, but then 
when that big signing happens, everyone goes, oh, shit. I'll tell you what, what if, if an oh shit moment happens and I have to skip chest day, I will gladly do that. Gladly That's do a tall that. task to ask of me, but I will, I will do it. Jeff out here pumping out 315. 320. 320? You got up 320. to 320 now? Yeah, yeah. I'd, uh, I had a, a month where I was super dedicated over well, – I was home for winter break and I really went for it. And Well, didn't you – wasn't it like sober break or something like that? It was sober break for like seven <laughs> weeks and it was amazing. <laughs> the gains. I got so strong, but – I mean, so I – I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll speak to it when I have something to speak of. Right now, the progress, <laughs> the progress is good, but it's nothing I really want to brag about because it's always an uphill climb, and it always will be. It's always at a ninety-degree angle too. The hill, the hill is not. It, it's a very steep hill. Especially every, when I'm going to eat a pound of pasta tomorrow night at my grandmother's house. I, I, I really want some wings. It's been a minute since I had some wings, and I really want some wings. I'll be honest. Wings. My, my, yeah, I know nobody can see this. Jeff can't see this. My girlfriend's in the background. She wants to get wings and pizza. So, I'll go if you. I'll go with her. Double date? Uh, no, you won't. No, you won't. <laughs> 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 well, with that, you know, it's a good time of year. You know, nothing's really happening. This is a for me. I'm not so sure about Jeff and Vino, but for me, this is a mock-free zone. As Joe Miller brought it up when he put out his podcast, this is a mock-free zone for me. I'm not going to do any mock drafts. You're not going to sit here. And listen to me click and clack at my computer while I go through a mock draft simulator. That's not how we roll. No, I'm not. Uh, th- this podcast, I know that we haven't been doing them very, um, very accordingly or punctual, if you will. I know we haven't been doing them every week. I know we haven't had two or three a week, whatever it might be. But, you know, as an individual that takes a lot of pride and I'm very passionate about all the things I do, this podcast will always be quality over quantity. You won't oh. see me pumping out two or three podcasts a week of just straight up garbage of just content fillers of whatever it might be. You know, there's nothing wrong with people that do that, but you know, I, there's things that Jeff and I have to do. There's things that Jeff and I are responsible for that aren't the overtime podcast. And you know, this, this podcast will suffice. It's good enough. It's what we're going to do for now. And if we have a merger pod in a couple of weeks, we have an emerge pod. If we have a recap pod, we have a recap pod. We'll see what happens, but be sure to stay tuned and stay plugged in and be sure to follow Jeff Uvino. Jeff, where can they find you? Well, if you want to, for some stupid reason, you can follow me on Twitter at R-E-A-L-J-U-V-E-I-N-O. You can find me on Instagram at my name, Jeff Uvino. And shout out to the St. Bonaventure men's basketball team tonight, their regular season finale at St. Louis. They win. They'll get the double bye in the Atlantic 10 tournament, which is huge. Um, and then good luck to the Bonnies next week in the A-10 tournament. If they can somehow topple Dayton, we're going dancing. So we'll see. Go dancing. They've made it to the dance the last two years, right? They didn't they beat last UCLA year. last year, right? Year, but that was the year before. Yeah, 2018. They were one of the last teams in. They played the first four in Dayton. They beat UCLA, and then they lost to Florida in the in the round of 64. So hey man, we're hoping smart. to hoping to make a Cinderella run. We'll see what we can. We'll see what we can do. I mean, I'll stay plugged in. And when I stay plugged in, I hope you all follow me on Twitter at CFR Clayton, and you can follow me on Instagram at the same handle at CFR Be sure to follow the Colfront Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. That is at Colfront Report on Twitter, at Colfront Report underscore Bills News on Instagram, and Colfront Report colon Buffalo Bills News on Facebook. And, hey, thank you all for listening. And, you know, this has been the Overtime Podcast presented by the Colfront.
everybody, and welcome to the extended version of the Overtime Podcast presented by the Colfer Report. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Clayton Garrett. You can find me on Twitter at CFR Clayton, and joining me as always. I'm Jeff Uvino. You can find me on Twitter at Real J-U-V-E-I-N-O. Apologies if I sound a tad bit under the water, uh, or excuse me, yeah. Tad there you go, off to a great start. <laughs> off to a great start. A tad bit under the weather, I should say. Uh, I caught a cold between the last time we recorded, which wasn't even 48 hours ago, if that. Um, so what had happened, as I explained earlier in the debriefing, if you will, we recorded a pod about defensive targets for free agency for the Bills. And quite literally, like less than two days later, they signed Josh Norman to a one-year deal worth $6 million that could be worth up to $8 million. Jeff, let's start with you. What, do you th- what, what were your first impressions when you saw the news? You know, I don't think that it can do any harm. Um, Josh Norman had the best years of his career when Sean McDermott was his defensive coordinator at Carolina. So I think that bringing in a veteran like this, you know, in a system that he's familiar with, it can't hurt your football team. And the biggest thing that makes me think positively of it is that Norman doesn't have to come in and be a number one corner because he's not that at this point in his career. He's 32 years old. He's not the player that he used to be. He was an all pro in 2015. He's not that player. But because the Bills have Trey White opposite of him, he doesn't have to be that. And so that's, that's a really encouraging signing. And also, you know, it's great to have veterans in the locker room. So, you know, I'm happy that, you know, the kind of the reuniting Sean McDermott and um, Josh Norman. And I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think the Bills cornerback room is better with Josh Norman on the roster than it is without him. I think he's an upgrade over Kevin Johnson from last season. And you look at what Kevin Johnson was making. What was he making? Three or $4 million. Mm-hmm. And now you pay a guy who is a known commodity in this league, is a former All-Pro, and was an All-Pro when he had his current head coach as a defensive coordinator. I think that there's only things to be gained from this move. And it doesn't, it doesn't hinder, you fi- hinder you financially. It doesn't prevent you from making other additions around the football team. Hell, it doesn't even prevent you from – drafting a cornerback in the first round if that's if that's what you want to do it doesn't it, it, I think it just puts him more so in a position to make a value addition to round out the room and solidify the room so that best player available is an option when the draft comes around in May yeah and six million isn't you know breaking the bank you know that's just a sliver of the money you have to throw around and so it's a value deal you know, um, Norman maybe taking a little little uh, discount to come back with his former coach in a system where he knows he can succeed right away because of the people around him, and he can help add to that um, success. And I think it's good that, you know, the Bills are at a point where they didn't make this signing because, you know, he, they didn't bring him in to be the top guy. If that was the case, then I would be angry about it. I would I would feel negatively about the signing. You know, if, if – it's like, you know, bringing in Terrell Owens to lead a receiver core in the end of his career when that happened, you know? You but, remember you remember last year when – it was right around this time of year, a couple of weeks before free agency. It was all quiet for a while. But then they signed Spencer Long, who just, just today they, they, uh, they took the option on and they're going to keep him on the roster for 2020, might mm-hmm. I add. Um, last year they signed Spencer Long. And, you know, you know as well as I do how bad that offensive line was. And everybody says, okay, let's get a center. Let's replace Russell Poda. Let's replace Ryan Groy because that that is the biggest area of need for a young quarterback. And then they signed Spencer Long. And and people really didn't know how to interpret that move. People didn't really know how to interpret that as, okay, they have their guy. 
okay, they have a guy or, okay, they have somebody they can build around and start improving and building from the bottom up rather than from the top to bottom. So I think this is a move far more of the variety of the rounding out the room. I think for $6 million to get Josh Norman on your team, I think that you got tremendous value out of that. I remember when he had first got cut by the Redskins, I was concerned that there, or I was concerned that he would be asking far too much money from the team that wanted him. Take Greg Olson, for example. You know, you and, when you and I sat on the pod a handful of weeks ago and talked about offensive free agent targets, it was right around the same time that Greg Olson was looking for a new home. And I'm glad the Bills didn't make that move because I said I, I think $7 million is my ceiling for a, 30, a mid-30 tight end. And that's, and that's what he got. He got $7 million and the Bills would have had to offer him $8 million to offer him more than the uh, Seattle Seahawks had offered him. And I think $6 million, you get tremendous value. You get, a, you get a good football player on the tail end of his career. And I think worst case scenario, he's your corner too going into 2020. Yeah, and, you know, 2020 Josh Norman is the star of your secondary is not the situation that you want. But 2020 Josh Norman as a role player and a good secondary is a great addition in my opinion. Right. You know, the, the way I think of it, I think of those teams that we, that the bills had played with more than one potent threat on the outside boundary. I think of those teams where it's like, all right, let's see, let's see what Levi Wallace has this week. Let's hope Kevin Johnson shows up. I think of the games like the Dallas game, you know, he didn't get torched that game. Maybe even the Miami game. I didn't, he, he didn't really get even torched. The Browns, even the Browns, yeah, even the Browns and Beckham. That's the game. I, the Bills lost. Right now. I feel far more comfortable with Josh Norman, even with his previous issues, wherever he has been, I'm going to, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. You know, he could be um, an upper echelon player. He could be mediocre, could be average. We'll see what happens. But point being, he's going to compete with Levi Wallace for that cornerback two job. I'm assuming if they don't make any other marquee or high end additions, like draft somebody in the first or second round, I'm assuming that he's going to compete with Levi Wallace for that cornerback two role. And I think worst case scenario, he loses that. He loses that competition or he's the cornerback too for or, uh, opposite Trey White. And you have a pretty good cornerback tandem going, going forward. And regardless of his role in the defense, it's great to have him in the room. You know, I know we say that a lot, but it, it really means a lot. It's great to have him in a room, a guy who, who is a veteran of the league, who, is, who has done everything. You know, he's been through a lot in his time in the league. He's been at the top. He's had some blows. He's been in fights. You know, the guy's seen a lot in the NFL, so it's uh, good to have some experience in your room with all the young players that the Bills have. I mean, even Trey Young, or excuse me, said Trey Young. Trey White is a young player, you know? I'm thinking yeah. about basketball right yeah, now. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but um, Trey White is a young football player, and so it's, it's good to have experience in the room. I'm excited. I think it's a really good move. And, you know, just to throw a tad bit of excitement in on this quick, on this quick pod or whatever you want to call it, I call it extended cut because that, that, you know, I think that's fun. appropriate. I think think calling something an extended cut, you know, it it sounds very legitimate. There's some legitimacy that goes with the version of the pod. Right. (laughs) And there's no swearing. Yeah, exactly. I guess, but something for Bill's fans to be excited about. I don't think Josh Norman comes to Buffalo last year. Or the year before. Yeah, or the year before a, that's that. That's a good point. I didn't think of it that way. I don't think Josh – okay, I understand he went to Washington, and, and Washington's pretty much been I, – I don't know. It's been Washington, D.C. They're the Redskins. There hasn't been much relevance over the past 30, 40 years when it comes to the with Washington Redskins. Except for when they beat the Bills in the Super Bowl, but – I wasn't alive for that, so it doesn't count. Huh, okay. <laughs> Where was I? 
yeah, yeah. So it's a clean slate. But I don't think when Josh Norman is on the open market, because he got traded to the Redskins, I think Josh Norman on the open market, he doesn't sign with either the Bills or the Redskins if he hits the open market. He hits the open market. We, the, the, there's rumblings of the teams he was considered by. There's rumblings of the teams he, that were talking to him. Point being, he chose Buffalo. And at 32 years old, at the tail end of his career, on his last professional leg, I mean, Josh Norman wants to win a Super Bowl. I, think, I don't think any player at that, in that stage of their career, in that, in that position, is sitting there thinking, I don't want to win a Super Bowl before I retire. Or I don't want to or, – or, you, know, you know what I'm saying? They, mm-hmm. He is looking for a Super Bowl right now. He didn't go to the open market and say, I'm going to a Super Bowl contender, and that's the bottom line. But he went to the open market, and that's certainly something he's going to consider. That's certainly something any veteran is going to consider when they sign with a new team. Players like A.J. Green, players that are older and have been in this league for a long time that are looking for new homes when they probably haven't had to have a new home in a long time either. So to see him come to Buffalo kind of gives me that, that, that feeling of the turning of the tide, if you will, of players are starting to consider, consider Buffalo with more legitimacy with the foundation they built with the young quarterback and the regime that's been in place going into year four now. And it shows that um, McDermott and Brandon Bean mean business. You know, they've made Buffalo an attractive place to go, and now they're going to go out and get these guys and show them, hey, this is what we're doing in Buffalo. You may not have considered it before, but we're trying to win a championship, and this is how we're going to do it, and we hope that you can be a part. Right. And it's only the first of many moves. You know, we, we will have a game plan going forward, as I alluded to at the end of the uh, non-extended cut or whatever, whatever the hell you want to call it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, we just wanted to hop on here. You know, we, we were given a position where, okay, we, we have a couple decisions. We can either toss the other pod and just talk about Josh Norman for a quick 15 minutes, or I don't know how long we've been, it's been since I hit record. But sit here and just have that be the pod. And No, I want, I want that podcast that we had recorded the other day to be out there because there was some good information in there, good opinions in there. So with that, thank you all for tuning in. Jeff, please tell the people where they can find you. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can find me at R-E-A-L-J-U-V-E-I-N-O or Instagram at my name, Jeff Uvino. And don't forget to follow the Cold Front Report on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. That's at Cold Front Report on Twitter, at Cold Front Report underscore Bills News, and Cold Front Report colon Buffalo Bills News on Facebook. There's all sorts of content going up there every single day, whether it's Brandon Bean hyping up the crowd when Antonio Brown didn't want to come to Buffalo or it's, it's you're on the clock stuff or it's what would you rather do sign trade or draft etc there's plenty of engaging posts be sure to follow and like us on all platforms and if you'd like to find me it's at cfr on twitter and on instagram it's the same exact handle at cfr clayton and thank you all for listening and this has been the overtime podcast presented by the culprit